You're listening to Girls with Grafts, a burn community podcast created by Phoenix Society for Burn Survivors, a leading nonprofit dedicated to supporting the burn community. In this podcast, we'll talk with burn survivors, share resources to help with supporting and improving burn recovery, and discuss how to prevent burn injuries. Here are your hosts, burn survivors and Phoenix Society's marketing team, Amber Wilcox and Rachel Kudlak. Hello, and welcome back to Girls with Graphs. I'm Rachel Kudlak. I'm one of the hosts of the podcast, and I'm joined today by my lovely co-host, Amber Wilcox. Hi there. I love that you always start by saying I'm lovely. It makes me feel important. So, Well, originally (laughs) when we first started, I was going to like mix it up, and I just kept going with lovely. So that's lovely work. Yeah. (laughs) You could say very pregnant these days, too. So (laughs) I I don't feel very lovely. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Well, we have a great guest on today's show, so I'm excited to get ready to introduce her. But Rachel, before we do, um, we want to give a special shout out to our partner for today's podcast. Do you want to go ahead and kick us off? Yes, yes. So today's podcast is powered by Allosource. Allosource is Phoenix Society's vision partner. And I actually want to take a quick moment um, and share a message from Dean Elliott, which is Allosource's president and CEO. So he shared that Allosource's partnership with Phoenix Society has been a powerful extension of the physical healing we provide burn survivors through our allographs. It's given our organization the opportunity to support the mental and emotional journey burn survivors face as part of their healing process. Whether it's providing speakers to share their personal stories of survival or or offering a platform for community involvement through time or donations, the Phoenix Society Partnership has played a role in helping our employees further connect to our important work, honoring tissue donors by creating products to help surgeons save and enhance lives. So I thought that that quote from Dean was just so powerful and just shows, you know, how important our Phoenix Society partners are. So we're so happy to, you know, recognize Allosource today and, and have that partnership. For sure. And you can learn more about Allosource at allosource.org. With that, Rachel, um, let's get started and kicking off um, our guests. Do you want to tell our our listening audience and anyone who's watching today uh, a little bit about uh, Taylor Campbell? Yes. So we we have Taylor here on the podcast today. She's a 19-year-old college student attending the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, majoring in communications and minoring in creative writing with a focus on journalism. She is the author of Hope to the Third Degree and is currently working on her second book as writing is one of her true passions. She co-founded the Taylor Campbell Pledge Fund located at the North Carolina J.C. Burn Center Children's Hospital, aiming to raise funds to assist families with aftercare necessities. Currently, Taylor is working towards becoming a leadership certified with John C. Maxwell and his team, which will be a which will be official this upcoming March. This certification will allow her to engage in coaching, speaking, and further her writing as Taylor feels called to make a difference through sharing her story. And in her free time, she enjoys the beach, staying active, engaging in outdoor activities, and spending time with her family. So thank you, Taylor, and welcome to Girls Look Grass. Hi, thank you. Thank you. Super excited. We're excited to have you. Thanks for joining us. To start, um, let's kick it off with, maybe you can just tell us a little bit about uh, your journey as a burn survivor. Mm -hmm. 
So my journey started at the age of eight months old and I was at my home in Wilmington and it was just a normal night. I have two older sisters that are seven and nine years older than me. So they were coming home from softball games and uh, we were all just getting dinner ready, just like a normal night. So my mom told my oldest sister, Brooke, to take me upstairs and watch me while they finished dinner. And so I'd be supervised. From there, I started crying and um, wanted my mom, just like an eight-month-old does. And so she brought me downstairs and put me in my walker. And that was a normal thing to do. She didn't think anything of it everything's totally normal. So um, my dad had his back turned against the uh, center of the island and he was filling up glasses of water. And then on the other side was a dishwasher. And if the dishwasher was down, I wouldn't have been able to get through on that side. So my mom had her back face to the stovetop cooking and I walked around where the dishwasher was up and I pulled the fry daddy cord that was filled with 400 degree boiling grease. So we were cooking hamburgers, hot dogs. So that was the grease that was in there. So I pulled the cord down and it fell all over my body. From there, my mom obviously heard the loud bang and picked me up. And she actually got some first degree burns on her arm just from how hot I was. So from there, her motherly instinct was to run me under cold water. And that was the thing that saved my life. So she did that. My dad called 911 and they rushed me to our local hospital in Wilmington. From there, they said, we can get her stabilized, but we don't know what to do. We've never seen anything like this. Um, we'll do our best and started to take care of my mom and my dad also from their minor burns. So from there, I was stabilized on life support and airlifted to UNC JC Burns Center Children's Hospital. And from there, the journey was just beginning. So I met Dr. Karens whenever, or my parents did, and he immediately took me under his wing like his own. And he went out of surgery once I was a little bit out of the woods. And he went into a conference room um, after I'd been in surgery all night. And so he sat down with my parents and their family and friends who drove up with my parents. And he said, okay, she's not out of the woods yet. She has a 7% chance of survival. And she was burned 64% of her body, second and third degree. So from there, he said, I'm going to do everything in my power to save her life because he felt a connection. He said that um, like I was his daughter or his own. So he wanted to treat me that way, which truly is the thing that saved my life. And so from there, I've had, I went into surgery like um, probably about 15 other times between that short stay. But my mom learned literally how to be a nurse and to take care of me and change bandages and all the things that go along with aftercare needs. So whenever she would do that, um, the nurses would be like, you might want to step back and you're, it's going to be hard for you to see this. And she said, no, this is my baby. And if I want to get her home to the, or out of the hospital and home, then I'm going to have to learn how to do all this. And the nurses were shocked because they hadn't really seen somebody who wants to 
learn and be hands-on like that. And so they help or they let my mom do everything, which was incredible because I got out of the hospital very quickly from what I should have been there. And but the journey definitely did not stop there. I was burned on my arms, my back. Um, it went down a little on my neck and then my scalp. I fully pulled the cord down on my head. So it burnt my hair follicles, um, that whole layer of skin on your scalp. So I have a very thin layer that covers like my head. So whenever I was healing, um, it, if somebody would touch it wrong, if I, like my mom was putting on an ointment, if she scraped it, I would bleed and bleed and bleed just because it was so thin. And so that goes into a lot of things with me wearing a wig and having to find out the options that work because my case is different from alopecia and other scenarios that you wear a wig for. But I've had over 30 surgeries as a burn survivor. Some of those were laser treatments and others were more invasive at Cincinnati Children's Hospital. Um, but I've had Z-plasties and skin grafts and all the good stuff. But yeah, I work. So whenever I, for the first like six years of my life, I had surgeries that were very invasive and I had my right ear um, or they removed cartilage from my left rib and put it to make my right ear because my right ear totally got burnt and they basically had to sew it to my scalp. So then this ear has a flap and everything. So they were trying to make them even. So they removed the rib or the cartilage from the rib to make my ear. And that was one of the most painful surgeries I remember because your ribs are so tender and it, they said it was equivalent to breaking a rib. So I remember just getting cards sent in from my second grade class and saying, we're praying for you and we're here for you. And my class was amazing that I had because I grew up with them in a private Christian school, kindergarten through eighth grade. So I knew those people and the teachers there, which was incredible for me growing up, having a support system like that, because some people aren't as lucky to be able to go in and have friends who know your story from the inside out and know you and also see you for more than your story. And so that's something that helped me growing up not shape my whole identity about that, but to truly grow and build character around my experiences. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Taylor, just listening to you and thank you for sharing all of that with us and our listeners. Um, you know, I just have so many similar similarities with you. You know, I was burned when I was three. Um, so not as quite as young as you, but, um, and yeah, I had a great, you know, mom and dad who, you know, did that physical care at home to help me recover quicker and, and then going to school and things like that. Um, so it sounds like you had a really, really great support system. Yes, I did. I'm very thankful for that. Mm -hmm. So can you, and you started talking to, to us a little bit about, you know, going to school and things like that, but what was it like? growing up as a burn survivor did you ever feel or notice that you were different or what was that experience like for you so it's always funny and I have a different answer every time I get <laughs> this question because it does change but since I was eight months I didn't know a difference so I totally had to learn how to walk 
or I wasn't walking yet, but I had to relearn how to crawl. Um, any words that I knew how to say, I had to relearn everything and feeding myself. So it was starting from scratch. And so that is where I'm lucky, I think, because I don't know a difference from being, say, if I was burned at eight years old, where I had lived half my childhood. And so growing up, though, I always was very hyper aware, but in a very good sense. So I knew that I was different, but I never felt that that was a disadvantage. I truly never did. I never got self-conscious over being different. And that truly is a gift from God that I have that ability to look past the physical appearance from the kids that were sitting right next to me. But the challenge came in really in second grade, whenever the kids started to get curious and ask questions. And that for me, I remember vividly in second grade going like, uh oh, because I was like, I've never experienced this type of feeling before where I don't know how to explain myself. And so I talked to my mom about it and my dad, but from day one, they ingrained it in me that you are not a victim, you're a survivor. And so truly that was my mindset from day one. And anytime people asked me questions, I'd tell my story and they'd say, you're so strong, I could never tell my story. And how do you do that? Like just asking all these questions. I'm like, well, I am proud of my story. That's the thing. And it's nothing to be ashamed of. I'm gonna get questions, people are curious and you have to accept that, but not in a bad way. And you have to accept and truly love who you are to be able to have the victor mindset instead of victim. And so growing up, that was ingrained in me. And so sharing my story, um, I had a sort of confidence with it where I never got self-conscious telling my friends and um, new kids that I would uh, meet at dance class and gymnastics. and. Um, so yeah, I got very comfortable every like every time I told my story, I knew I know my story very well. And so from day one, my parents told me anything that I wanted to know about my story, which is amazing because nothing was hidden from me. So even though I was only eight months old, I know from the time it happened until today and then all the details in between. So it's like I had that confidence, too, in knowing my story. And but growing up in second grade, I was kind of going, uh oh, because kids started asking very specific questions that I didn't know the answer to. So it's like, well, uh, they would just phrase it differently from how a kindergartner would ask a question. And in kindergarten, I was a very smart kindergartner. So it's like, I would be like, yeah, I got z skin grafts. They're like, huh? And I'm like, yeah, and moving on. But it's like growing up, I just always embodied a survivor and not a victim. And I had unwavering support from my family, friends, teachers. And so from the day that I had that initial thought of, how do I answer these questions? I'm starting to feel, and now I know it was me feeling unsure about not myself, but just not knowing how to answer it fully. And 
it wasn't getting to bullying yet, but it was getting to the point of these kids need answers or if they're going to make it up in their own mind. And so my mom talked to Anita, which is uh, a nurse that was with me from the time I got burned at the JC Burn Center. And um, so Anita came down from Chapel Hill and she sat me down with my second grade class. It was about 40 kids in both the classes. And she brought a picture book and put together with my mom and helped me tell my whole entire story. And from then the kids understood. And I actually took my wig off in the class and it just showed that no shame to embody and to live who you are as a person. And so that stopped all the talking and everything immediately. And it let me truly be a kid again. And I've always been very mature because I know I'm different, but it's I've always had the same experiences that I was a dancer, gymnast, I did pageants. I, I'm not afraid to put myself out there and I've always made great friends and had a good friend circle and group of support. So it's like, I never knew what I was missing because I truly felt like I already had it all. And that's one of the biggest gifts that I want to give everybody else who's struggling with a burn accident after because it truly does not make you who you are. And that's something I learned from day one, but truly have embodied up till today. That's awesome. So I know you mentioned second grade. Did you find that you continued to get any questions? Like, did you have the same group of, of kids that you worked with, right? Or, or maybe yeah. as you've moved to college, has that happened again where you've had to kind of revisit that? Yes. Um, so in second grade, after Anita helped me tell my story, um, my teachers were fully aware of my story and ready to jump in if I needed help answering questions. And like, I remember a couple times, like after that initial talk, um, I would go up to my teacher and be like, because we were all super close, like our families were. So I was like, hey, how do I explain this? Can you help me tell my story? And I remember one day specifically, um, she, we were at the pickup line and she goes, yes, not right now though. I'm really busy. I got to go. And I remember standing there and she just walked away, but my question wasn't answered with the kid who was standing beside me. And so I felt like this pit of like loneliness because it was like, uh Oh, how do I go about this? I, she's the one who knows it, but it also helped me reframe my mindset of, okay, I live with the scars, I can tell my story. So it almost made me stronger in a way of needing to share my own story. But yeah, from then on, um, up until eighth grade, I was with that same group of kids and teachers and staff. And so I was very safe growing up, mentally kept safe and um, guarded from a lot of things I think that I could have been exposed to. Mm -hmm. Um, but going into high school was my first public school experience, and that was a reality check. So I was going into my freshman year. I was I made the cheerleading team. I made a good group of friends, and I was very confident in to what I was stepping into. And from then, I went not into my first day. Everything was great. Um, I noticed the weird looks and the 
stares and not mean, just like curious. And my mom always told me whenever I would get like, because kids are very curious. And so if they see one thing, they're going to touch it or look at it. And you just got to get comfortable with that. And so I would come home and be like, mom, like, why are these kids looking at me? Or she would notice. And um, she finally just sat me down one day and goes, Taylor, like, kids are curious. They've never seen something like this. They're going to look at it. And that's okay. And I was like, okay. So I got the stares and the looks and the whispers from younger kids say in gymnastics that didn't know my full story or heard the talk in class and from then I kind of took that on to myself of saying I would straight up walk up to them and say would you like to hear my story and it would ca- like it would it look like they saw a ghost and I'm like no, no no like it's okay like I'm tr- I'm not trying to be mean about it like do you don't have to be curious and wonder I'm fully open to telling you my story from them they'd be like actually yeah we were wondering like what was on your arm and I'd be like oh well here's what happened they would be like oh my gosh like we would have never known and then those would be my best friends the next day so it's like I handle that very well but then going into high school I kids are a lot more brutal in high school so and everyone suffers with their own issues so I was prepared to stand up for myself. I had a great friend group um, and all that stuff. But one day I was in gym class and we were playing dodgeball and they have like these foam dodgeballs. And um, yeah, so they were playing it and I had backed up and uh, all of a sudden I like got slung forward my head just like that. And I turn around and cause I know that there were kids playing behind me but I turned around and all of a sudden there were these group of boys just hee 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 laughing and in a little circle. And I couldn't figure out what had just happened because I was discombobulated from, it was honestly a very hard hit. But I had also just gotten a very minor concussion from cheerleading the day beforehand where a girl, I was a back spot and she fell on my neck and I went to the doctor and it was a minor concussion. So I already had headaches, already had that. So I got jolted forward. I turn around there giggling and I said, who did that? Because I'm not afraid to stand up for myself. And they said they were all like, no, no, point fingers. It wasn't me, blah, blah. And I said, who did it? And they said, no, whatever. Finally, someone fesses up. So I found out that the guy that did it said, um, and I had never seen this guy before, never spoke to him, didn't know his name. There were about 30 kids in the gym class like one of the biggest classes I'd ever been in. And he just starts laughing about it. And he's like, yeah, I did it. Like, whatever. And I was like, okay, well, that kind of hurt, like, whatever. And like expecting an apology. So then I hear whispers and stuff all going around the school. And in other classes, my cheer team was coming up to me. Teachers were coming, everybody. And I'm like, what's going on? And it was going around the school that um, the So the guy's girlfriend that he was dating was one of my best friends since like kindergarten. And she knew about the whole situation and everything. And it was a moment of betrayal for me because I was like, what? Like, this is somebody who knows my story. Like, how could they stick up for somebody who did this on purpose? Because it was on the video footage of where 
he had timed it perfectly to hit me. And so moral of the story, he goes, if I see a bleep, I'm going to knock a bleep out. And it was like, okay, that I'm not um, that type of person, but okay. And he goes, yeah, I just wanted to knock her wig off and embarrass her. And at that point, I was like, once I heard that from other classes, he was going around saying um, what he was aiming to do. And it was getting back to me because people knew me and they knew, hey, like, this isn't Taylor and what's going on. So my mom immediately, we went to the principal and principals denied it, all this stuff. But um, basically nothing ever happened to um, make that kid realize that, okay, I have a story. I'm a human. I'm a person. Like we all have feelings here. And so, yeah, that girl was sticking up for um, something that wasn't okay, but it was Mm -hmm. such a teachable moment. And I'm happy I experienced that because it, even if your closest family and friends betray you on stuff, it's okay because you're still you and you have everything in you that you need to stick up for yourself and share your story. And so through then I got through that experience, I got to share my story with um, like all the school uh, officials and principals and directors and all that stuff. So it was a great experience, but it's like, (laughs) it did start (laughs) from the bullying, but Mm -hmm. after that time, um, the principal played it off as, oh, he has a crush on you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, that, no. And so then like he would try to step on my shoes and I'm just like, okay, this is something I've never experienced. And he doesn't know who he's messing with here. (laughs) Like I am very confident and I'll tell him my story. That's the thing. I'm not afraid. So one day I did and I told him my story and everything. And um, yeah, it stopped that day. And Mm -hmm. so he truly, I gave him a piece of my mind because I was like, (laughs) no, 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 you're going to stop doing this and making me dread coming to school for this whole week. Mm -hmm. Throughout eighth, like kindergarten through eighth grade, I've never once experienced anything like this. And I was like, this is going to end today. And it did. And from then, I didn't have any issues in high school. Honestly, everybody knew my story because if somebody would ask, somebody would have an answer that Mm -hmm. would name and know, because it's quite rare that you find a burn survivor, A, in your school, and then B, to the extent that I had the odds put at me for 7%. Mm -hmm. So I remember one time, like a couple instances in the bathroom earlier in freshman year, um, one of my friends came up to me and was like, Taylor, why don't you tell blah, 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 um, your story? And I was like, why so? And they said, because it's going around that you were in a house fire, your parent, or I don't even know the craziest stuff. And I'm like, wait, hold up here. I'm not in a house fire. But it was because people were so utterly terrified to ask me what it was Mm -hmm. and it's like it's hard to see that when you're also trying to figure it out or self-conscious and just trying to see your own story it's hard to see that other people are more scared to ask you what happened than you share your story and so but for me I wanted to because I'd grown up sharing it and I didn't want people to wonder I wanted them to know the facts the reasoning 
And so I did find that person and I shared my story. And from then it was just like any instance that I catch people like looking, if it's just a look, I don't care. But like, if it's something where I know that they want to ask me, I'll do all of us a favor and just step forward and say, Hey, it's okay. Like, because you never know what they can relate with too. Yeah. And I've had so many incredible people who have had like, Oh, my parents were burned. Oh, my sister, we've never met anyone that's been burned. And just opening your mouth and realizing that your words speak volumes and sharing your story. Mm-hmm. But in college, people grew up a lot. And so I still have some of my closest friends from high school and middle school that go to UNC with me. But um, I mean, they would take a bat for me, like they would do it, go to bat for me, they yeah. would do anything. So it's like, I know myself very well people know me well I'm in a sorority and that has a lot of stereotypes with it but it's honestly for the best because I truly share my story to show that beauty comes from within and mm-hmm. not the outside and that people can look at you and shape you a certain way but that's not you so mm-hmm. I shared my story during the rush process and I met some of my closest friends but I've had questions and I still get questions. And as I get older and more mature, it's I notice that people aren't as afraid to ask me now. And which is great for me because I don't have to worry about that. But um, it's like they will ask me. And whenever they do, it's like, yeah, here it is. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. And I, oh, it's funny when you were sharing earlier too about that one moment that you remember in eighth grade. And because mm-hmm. I had the same thing. I so in sixth grade, when I went to, you know, the middle school where, you know, all five of our elementary schools came together, that yeah. first day was so traumatizing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, because like you said, kids are curious, and they don't hide it like adults think they're hiding it, at least. Yeah. Um, and I wish I had the same confidence you had then because I would run away and kind of hide from the situation. But you, you know, faced it front on, which is I amazing. Definitely- I definitely had my running from it because I definitely went to my teacher like all throughout second grade and was like, help, help. How do Mm -hmm. I do this? And then she like walked away at one point. I was like, uh, what do I do? But then you just have to face it at some point. So, yeah. So what helped you? over time, you know, gain that confidence? Was it just, you know, sharing your story and not hide, well, not always hiding from it? I know, I mean, it doesn't matter how confident you are, you're going to hide away sometimes. There's days you just don't feel like sharing. (laughs) Do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, honestly, I think I'm gifted with the confidence that I have. I truly do. And I think that everything in life happens for a reason and that nothing is on accident. And I truly know that I was given and put in this life for a reason. And it is not because of my accident to have my accident, but it's to share my story and not of me, but to share that I came from a 7% chance. And I truly believe that there was something that brought me out of that. And I'm a Christian. And I believe that God never left me from day one. And I truly believe that if I wasn't meant to be here 
and share my story with boldness and confidence that I would not be. But I made it here for a reason. Um, I beat 93% chances that were against me. And that's not for nothing. Uh, you can fall and stub your toe and I'll still, you'll come to me and I'll say it was for a reason. And I don't care how annoying it gets hearing that over and over. I'll tell myself that over and over because I truly believe that. And it's that unwavering confidence of knowing your existence and your true reason and purpose for being here. And mine to share my story goes in so many ways. It goes with girls uh, with alopecia, hair loss, um, cancer. Uh, it goes to burn survivors. It goes to young women or young girls, women, children, anybody, because I have such a broad story that is so unique in many ways, like having to wear a wig, but then the special type of tape that I have to wear because of my scalp. And it's just like every story and every person's different. And that's the thing. Everybody in this world's so unique and we all have a gift and a purpose and a reason to be here and to help others. But truly, like I found my gift of speaking and talking and just coaching, just helping other people get through their rough patch, their moment in life that's tough for them by looking at life through a bigger lens of, hey, yes, this is your moment now, but you're not a victim of this. You're going to overcome it and be a survivor and look back and tell that story one day and show other people, another girl that was in your same position, um, that they can get through it. And that can be, that's where my confidence comes from. If I can help one person, then that's all that matters in my eyes. Because I truly know that I have such an intricate story and details to it that it can expand in so many different areas and with people. And I just know that everyone's here for a purpose and I am too, and that the accident wasn't for nothing and that this is now my mission to share with the world. But I truly know that God put me here to share my story and to be a survivor and not a victim. And whether that's with cancer patients, alopecia, burn survivors, um, until the day I die, I will share that story of hope because hope to the third degree like shows that you can be at rock bottom with 7% chance, but still overcome that. And everybody reading that, I want them to know if it's family, if it's anything, school, bullying, what you're going through, there's still hope and light at the end of the tunnel. And if you can just persevere and keep your eyes on the bigger picture and what you're here for and serving, then you can get through it. And that confidence is built from within. But truly living and experiencing what I have and um, the maturity that I have, it's something that also has helped build up my confidence from day one. That's, that's awesome, Taylor. Well, um, I want to touch a little bit. I know you mentioned that as a result of your injury, you do wear a wig. Mm -hmm. um, so I'd love it if you would mind, wouldn't mind sharing. I know our audience, especially of burn survivors um, who are maybe navigating wearing a wig for the first time, Mm -hmm. have questions about like <clears throat> do you always wear your wig um mm -hmm. what are some like advice or tips um i know you shared 
with Rachel that you enjoy embrace, like you want to embrace your scars and don't feel ashamed about wearing your wig. And I think survivors as a whole have a, sometimes a really hard time of understanding um, like that process. Cause that can be something that takes away right part of your identity. If, especially if you were young, but especially if, you know, some of our survivors that were older and maybe had hair um, yes. that had fully matured and then didn't have it. Like, can you share a little bit about your experience with wearing a wig? Yeah. So it actually started whenever I was two years old. Um, I had this like long Barbie <laughs> little like toy wig thing that you would just put on your baby dolls. And but my head was so small that we could practice with it. So my mom wanted to start practicing with that. Um, so I would be used to going into school at preschool um, wearing a wig because we had just ordered one. And um, she didn't she only did that because she wanted me to go in without the thoughts of always wondering, okay, well, if I wear a hat this day to school, then our kid's going to ask questions. And she just didn't want all that in my mind so young. And that was kind of the least of my worries that it needed to be at the time was hair. Even though I didn't care at two years old, she didn't care either. But it was like, she obviously did care for my well-being. And it was... So we would practice at home, like just putting that on. And um, then the first time I put it on, uh, I don't remember that at all, but um, I, so I got home from the hospital. My skin was so tender, fragile. Like if you touched it the wrong way, it would bleed. And so I had to put tape on, I put tape on four spots of it. And, but I remember like I would dance and go to gymnastics and, it would get sticky because sweat and all that stuff. So it's like, I remember like alcohol helped so much, like just taking it off slowly. And honestly, your body's amazing and it heals and um, adapts to what you need. And so like now my skin is 10 times thicker than it was like on my head than it was whenever I got out of the hospital. So it did adapt and it will adapt if, people are going through that issue of like say some bleeding if it comes off. Um, but where I like, I think this really helped me um, whenever I would go for a dance competition and pull my hair back and, or say would be wearing it on an extended period of time like that. Um, I would give myself a break after because you have to let your scalp breathe. And uh, I have patches of hair like in the back and then a little in the front and so for me, I don't have to wear a cap or anything to like keep my hair back. But um, like I've experimented with all that. And so I know what it feels like. And I've seen other people like whenever I've gone to get my wigs cut in town that get shipped to me, I'll take them to like our local hairdresser and he'll do them. And I've watched like cancer patients while I'm in there trying on a wig for the first time. And I took this one girl back to a bathroom because she didn't want to take off her wig in front of everybody out there. And I said, listen, I totally know how you feel here. Like I get it. I like growing up as a little girl um, with two older sisters with a mom who has beautiful long blonde hair. All of us do or all of them do. So it's like, I truly saw that as beauty growing up like you have beautiful long hair and oh I want that which I do have that but in a different way and so 
I truly understood how they felt with being self-conscious about like not wanting to take it off because I sometimes I would just have bad moments, bad days where I'm just like, eh, okay, is anybody looking? Okay. All right. I'll do it real quick. And like my mom would hold up a towel or something. So I wouldn't like if we were in the car or whatever, I wouldn't want to do it around all my friends. If she needed to retape a spot down, like before dance, she would go with me to the car. So I definitely had my moments of not being okay with it. And that was honestly one of the hardest things for me growing up was the hair aspect. Even though I didn't really know any different, it's still the beauty standard. I'm a young girl going into womanhood and trying not to shape that around your identity. And I definitely think in my teen years was the hardest for me, like in high school, because um, that's where everyone's very aware of themselves. And um, I was just a normal teenager, so I cared about my hair. And but honestly, it built up the confidence. And like now, I'll, I don't care. I, I'll take it off anywhere I am. Like, I just truly don't care anymore because I've learned that like throughout high school and then going to college that honestly, hair like is literally just hair. So, and I know that I, I've gotten that said to me so many times and I hate that saying. It's like, hair's just hair, don't worry about it. But that comes from somebody who has a full head of hair and it's like, uh, okay, you don't get it type of thing. And, but they're like, no, I work with everybody that has hair loss. Yeah, but it's different whenever like somebody truly understands it and is going through it. But I had to build up that confidence and I got to see other people overcome their struggles of um, confidence and just like being okay with it. But my sisters, my mom from day one, like I, so I have a hat and then I wear hair too. But whenever I was younger, we called this my hair hat because my mom tried to get me to wear hair, like with the Barbie little wig, but she was like, okay, this is just a hair hat. It's your hat, but with hair. And so growing up, like if somebody would say, do you wear a wig? I'd be like, no, that's my hair hat. No, no, no hair hat. They're like, what, what's a hair hat? I'm like, a hair hat like this is my hair hat and my mom would be like yes it's a wig but <laughs> it's like just little things like that that lightened the mood and just like kept it not so because wig in my eyes was such a like hard word it's like she wears a wig I'd rather say I wear a hair hat and people just knew me for the girl that wears a hair hat and <laughs> it wasn't a big deal anymore but I've seen people like some of my close friends now have um, or I know people through them that have had hair loss. And um, one of my sister's good friends had breast cancer recently. She just oh, or gotten remission for it. So um, I saw her from day one go from a full head of hair to slowly losing it in clumps to nothing one day. And truly seeing that um, disbelief and almost just like self-disappointment. It was like, it broke my heart. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do something about this because it broke my heart because I almost, I could relate with it too much. And it was like, okay, I didn't have to relate to hair falling out in clumps, but I relate to the disbelief that you don't have hair. And mm. to like, 
I still, because I do have hair in some spots, which makes it whenever I was younger, I'm like, why can't it just grow? Like, just like, why? And so her coming to me and just consoling in me, I was like, no, you're beautiful. Like, I truly took it like to heart and to help her because I'm like, I cannot let somebody think this of themselves just because of hair. And mm -hmm. then I started to understand where that saying comes from. It's just hair. It's just hair. It truly is just hair. And mm -hmm. sometimes it grows back. Sometimes it doesn't for some people. And that's okay because hair isn't who you are. That's not mm -hmm. who your heart is. That's not who your soul is, your mind. No, hair is an appearance. It's a like just something that is so minimal and that everybody honestly can be at one point self-conscious about. Mm -hmm. And everybody in this world, you walk around every day and you think that everyone's looking at you, but they're not. They're looking at themselves on the inside. They might be looking your direction, but they're worried about how they look and they're worried about their hair, their appearance. And they wouldn't even know that you wear, that you wore a wig if you went up to them. So it's like getting that brainwashing out of your mind. Honestly, it's brainwashing because society puts it in our head that we have to look a certain way, dress a certain way, wear our hair a certain way. And you just don't have to do any of that. So break down that wall and just get the stereotypes out of there because it truly doesn't matter at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Because your family, your friends, and the people who truly love you and care about you are not going to ever look at you any different than mm -hmm. any, like if somebody is truly for you and meant to be there for you to love you, you will never once catch them looking at you a certain way or feeling self-conscious because they'll support you in every part of who you are. And it's a part of like who, how you appear and all that, but it doesn't make up your full being. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, you know, for, you know, our listeners who maybe are considering whether it's a wig with hair or hair hat, I also love that. And I think everyone should be using that, that now. Um, and, you know, and for me, for example, I, some of my nails are not uh, flat and even because of my burns. So when I was younger, going to get your nails done, I was so scared to go do it. And then one day, one of my friends was like, you're coming with me. We're going to go do it. And we did it. And it was fine. And it all worked out. And guess what? Did my nail tech care that my fingers were messed up? No. Or at least I don't I don't know. They didn't make me feel like I, they knew. So, yeah, it's at the end of the day, whether it's hair, nails, skin, scars, whatever it may be. You're so right. It It is just the little things, but um, it's okay. You popped in my mind whenever you just said that, I was eight years old at Camp Celebrate, which is um, a camp for burn survivors at UNC. And I was there and I was surrounded by all burn survivors and, um, but nobody, nobody. And I had expected um, going into it just because I didn't really know what to expect. I had expected that other kids would be there wearing a hat and like, just like me. But I got there and it was nobody. And I, I walked in with the hat on. And growing up, I always I wore a hat more than I did hair. And but now I mainly wear hair. But like right whenever I get home, I take it off. Like I, I don't care. And like <laughs> and stuff, I'll swim without it. Um, but like I go out and have a job now, so it's like I'll put my hair on and I'm older. So 
But yeah, can't celebrate. I walked in, there was nobody that had a hat on. And we were doing the Pledge of Allegiance and she, this little girl beside me goes, take your hat off. And I was like, no, like this hat doesn't come off. Like this is my hat, like it's my little security. And she goes, take your hat off. Like we're doing this. And I'm like, no. And then she went and pulled it off. And that was the first time that I had anybody ever do that. And she didn't do it in any malicious manner. It was just like, why aren't you doing it? And because she could see hair, but I'm like, okay. And then like, we went out that day to go to the like little water slide. And I remember sitting on the side, like in a canoe and oh, it was Anita actually, who um, did this with me. So she comes up to me. She's like, why aren't you going on the slide? I'm like, I don't know. I'm wearing my hat, like blah, blah, blah. And, um, I don't know. It just felt a little weird for me and different. And I was like, I just don't want my hat coming off again. Like I, I was comfortable. And she goes, no, come on, come with me. That's not you. And I was like, fine. And so I go over there and she went, or she like made me go down the slide, but I was very happy she did. And it, it did come off, but she was right down there to catch it. And um, she's like, you see, and coming up from the water after that, it was like, I truly wanted to go on that water slide, but it was like, uh, I'm different. I don't want to be looked at, even though I'm at a burn camp, it doesn't matter. And that's what I mean. Like everybody's different and has different circumstances, but I was like, okay, thank I want to go again. Like, thanks. And uh, I didn't care. And I didn't wear my hat the rest of the day, but it's like, little things like that nobody truly cared and it made me happy so mm. you just gotta sometimes take a leap of faith or have somebody who can make you and do it with you because that's somebody who truly loves you yeah for sure I think uh, encouragement is really important especially from family members I know um, my husband did a lot of that for me as if I didn't have the encouragement that I did mm-hmm. maybe I wouldn't have taken that extra step well Taylor We are on our way to wrapping up here, but we always ask our survivors or anyone on a guest on the show, two final questions. So my first question for you is what advice you have as um, for anyone that might be a newly injured survivor. So um, whether they're young um, or maybe, you know, older, no matter the age, what advice do you have for someone that maybe is a a survivor for, you know, the first time? Mm -hmm. So coming out of the hospital, you see a whole new world and even though you are the same person and you're with your family still you see life totally differently and it feels a little disoriented and it might feel funky and you don't like it but you need to stop and realize that it's going to be okay a and then b it happens for a reason and you've got to just take it day by day and I know that this is very like stuff that you can hear every day, but it coming from a burn survivor who's had to overcome many different types of obstacles growing up and everything, truly taking a step back and going, okay, I have physical differences. I have scars. I wear a wig, whatever it is. Yes, this is me. And truly looking yourself in the eye in the mirror, do that and say every day, Um, this is me. I have scars and I love that I have scars and that this is my new me and take it with excitement. Don't take it with dread and doubt and guilt and shame. 
get rid of that because that doesn't belong in this new body of yours. And you're truly creating something special and it's a gift that's forming inside of you, which is to share with other people your story. So look at yourself in the eye every day. Go, I love me for me. And that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And no matter how many times you have to tell yourself that, one day you will believe it. And so keep telling yourself that. And when life gets too much, take a step back. Don't pressure yourself to get in uncomfortable places that you're not ready for. Mm -hmm. If you're not ready for it, you're not ready for it. And that's okay. And nobody knows where you're at mentally, physically, any type of way except you. And so truly checking in with yourself daily and being self-aware is so incredibly important because that helps with your healing process because healing is not only physical, it's mental. And mm -hmm. so taking a step back, you need, just like your body needs time to heal, you take time off of work after a surgery or you get injured. You need time mentally to recover because mm -hmm. it's a trauma. And mm -hmm. so you need to give yourself the most grace you could ever <laughs> in the world because nothing you did could have stopped this, prevented this, anything. And so mm -hmm. instead of replaying negativity like that, close that chapter, look at yourself in the eye, take a deep breath and start a new day with embodying the confidence and your new spirit and your story. I love that. That's some great advice. I love the idea of, you know, just looking at yourself in the mirror and, you know, repeating some of those things. That's really great advice. So, well, our final question, it's our Phoenix partner question, which today is sponsored by Allosource, one of the largest human tissue suppliers providing life-saving skin allografts. So the question is, what is something you're grateful for today? It doesn't have to be burn survivor related at all we just would love to hear something you're grateful for well something i'm grateful for is that it's sunny outside and that i can hear the birds chirping and that there's flowers because i truly find joy in like nature and just the smallest things and if you can hear the birds singing then there's something to be happy about because they're happy so <laughs> you can find joy in just the simplest moments in life. And mm -hmm. so honestly, like, I'm just happy that it's a pretty day and I can be outside and just be in the moment of today. Awesome. Amazing. Well, we want to thank you so much for joining us. Uh, Taylor, I know you do have a book, correct? So um, do you want to just briefly tell us a little bit about um, the title of the book and um, what you can expect when you purchase a copy of it? Yes. So I wrote the book a couple years ago during COVID and um, I worked with a publisher to help me kind of put it together, edit, and then put it on the Carolina Beach website. So right now I'm creating my own website, which the book will also be on, and it's called Shine and Ignite. And so from there, um, that's something upcoming in the next couple weeks. And then I'll launch my book on my website as well. And so, yeah, the story just tells um, about my accident from the time it happened up until um, the day I was writing the book. And it tells also about um, the different viewpoints of family members. So it has a little snippet of my mom's side of the story, um, my sisters, my dad. So it shares everybody's um, like reactions to the accident, how they coped with it, what they saw 
and which is so helpful for siblings who are watching their sibling get um, or treated for a burn accident. And it helps you just know that you're not alone from a sibling aspect, a parent aspect, mom, dad, grandparent, whatever, because everybody is affected from an accident. So especially like the severity of this and a burn injury. So it's, I wanted to make it important that everybody could get something from the book and not just survivors or whoever was reading it. But yeah, so that's something, so that's a little bit about the book and then it's on the website. Um, and then yeah, I'll launch it on my website um, in a few weeks. And then I'm working with John Maxwell to become leadership certified as well. So while I'm doing that, I'll add like mentoring and stuff to my website in the future. And then I'm also in the process of writing another book. So awesome. Yes. Yes, well, thank you so much. much. Okay. Yeah, we'll have the link to your book below. And then if your website launches soon, we will also add that so folks can find it easily in our show description. Yes, thank you very much. Yes. Thanks so much, Taylor. We really appreciate you joining us today. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thanks so much. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Girls with Grafts. If you are enjoying this content, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. This helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.